a medical diagnosis for your child can be a really difficult thing to navigate and adapt to and emotionally cope with. And today I wanted to talk about type 1 diabetes, just diabetes in general, but typically with young kids when they're diagnosed, it's with type 1 and it's getting increasingly more common. So today I have my good friend who's also a registered dietitian like me and a mom, and she also has been living with diabetes for much of her life. So I thought that her perspective would be really great to have on, not only as a professional who really understands the nutrition and physiological components, but also just what it's like to live with diabetes. It's super interesting to hear from her and her perspective, what she has to say. So let's bring her on. you're new here, I'm Casey Barnes. I'm a registered dietitian and mom of two living in Dallas, Texas, and I help make feeding kids easier. It's really that simple. That's my goal, but also my goal is just to like be a mom friend, parent friend, and be able to connect with y'all. I love just being in this parenting space. It's the hardest job in the world. So I like to be able to come together and share this space with y'all. So let me bring on Mary Ellen. Hi, Mary Ellen. Welcome on. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you here today because we're real life friends too. I know. It's so great. (laughs) I was so excited when you emailed me because when did we meet? Like several years ago at Fancy? Yeah, like pre-COVID. Yep, pre-COVID. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Crazy. So it was like just a perfect fit to have you on because not only are you a dietitian, but you're also living with diabetes. And I get so many followers who talk to me about diabetes diagnoses, and I always send them to you. So I'm excited to have you on. Will you tell people a little bit more about you and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Mary Ellen. I'm the dietitian behind milkandhoneynutrition.com. Uh, is a blog dedicated to nutrition and life with all forms of diabetes. I myself have type one diabetes. I was diagnosed when I was five. And so kind of like grew up with this forced interest in nutrition. And here I am uh, as now a mom in her mid thirties as a diabetes focused dietitian. And so I have two young daughters that are seven and eight. Uh, Neither one of them has type one diabetes, but I love getting to do this for my career and educate people through Instagram and TikTok and the blog and a few other media outlets and some cookbooks on how to live with diabetes. I love that now that we have the internet, like so many people know about dietitians, but when you were a kid, like you probably saw one, I didn't even know what a dietitian was when I was a kid. No. So what's funny is, so I was diagnosed when I was five and you go to the endocrinologist like every like three, four months or so. And there was this woman named Christine that we would always visit with. Well, now as an adult, I know she was the dietitian, but (laughs) I had no clue. I just thought like we talked to her about like, how much insulin I was supposed to take and what I was eating. Like I, I, it just never registered. And I think I was literally in college realizing what a dietitian was, where I was like, that's what she was. (laughs) It all makes sense now. (laughs) Yes. So dietitians play a very special role in the lives of kids uh, with diabetes. I still remember her and I remember how great she was and how her sole goal was to make me feel like a normal kid. I love that. Oh, I love like everyone in healthcare for pediatrics. They're just special people. 
they're always so happy. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about some misconceptions about diabetes, because I feel like it's something that if you don't know somebody like close to you who has diabetes, there's so many wild things that you hear about it. So what are some of the things that people commonly have as misconceptions? Yeah, well, the biggest one is that the reason you got diabetes, regardless of the type, is that you ate too much sugar. And that is like the biggest myth out there. There are, for both type one and type two, there are so many different things that contribute to the development of the disease. And eating too much sugar is usually not even in the equation. Never for type one, especially not for type two, but that's kind of this misconception. And then the kind of flip side of the same coin there is that once you have diabetes, you can't eat carbohydrate. And the biggest thing we I see, especially now in the pediatric world, is these parents who assume that their kid needs to go on a keto diet. And uh, it's just something that, I mean, technically you can do that for your child, but it's not the healthiest approach, both mentally or physically, in my opinion. Uh, and just kind of this idea that like, well, because carbs raise blood sugar, we shouldn't be eating those. When in reality, it's like, no, you just need to learn how your body reacts to them. I feel like if people take anything away, it's that, that it's not that you (laughs) can never have carbohydrates. Cause when I talk to people, especially friends or family who I've known who have had get gestational diabetes and they want to tell me about it because they're like, Oh, you're a dietitian, which is fine. I'm happy to hear about it, but it's almost like they don't even ask about, can they have carbohydrate? They just like, they automatically assume, well, I know she can't have carbohydrates. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, like (laughs) they don't even pause. And I think the distinction that needs to be made, and this is either on physicians or on us as dietitians when we're talking to people is that diabetes is the impaired, it results in the impaired metabolism of carbohydrate because we don't have insulin, right? It does not mean that you should not be eating carbohydrate. It's just that your body needs outside intervention to process it. And so that's where injected insulin comes in and where my role and my big passion comes in about talking to people is understanding the timing of the insulin that if you have a healthy pancreas, your pancreas produces insulin and it can keep up with your food. I'm like snapping here, like people could see me, but it can, (laughs) it can, it can keep up with the carbohydrate coming in and blood sugars typically will stay relatively even. When you inject insulin from an outside source in like a child with type one diabetes or an an adult with type one diabetes that it takes a little bit longer for that insulin to work. And so that's where we start introducing things like fat and protein and fiber to slow down the rise in blood sugar so that the insulin you've injected can keep up. And so that's my whole goal is to teach people how to kind of hack that whole blood sugar system so we can eat the foods we want, but still keep steady blood sugars. I love that. There's so much information about blood sugar on social media. And a lot of that is not Right. And I hate when people will show a food in isolation. They'll say, when you Mm -hmm. eat white rice, it spikes your blood sugar. It's like, well, yeah, it does. But also who is just eating like a giant bowl of plain white rice all the time with nothing else? I mean, I guess some people do. A few times in college. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's be honest. That's just pretty much all I knew how to cook in college. But when you have protein and fiber and fat along with it, like it interacts differently in your, especially I'm talking about somebody who doesn't have diabetes, like they don't need to be concerned about a rise in blood sugar. Right. It rises and falls in blood sugars in the average person with a healthy pancreas are normal. Like that's what happens. Your body is processing these foods. 
And I think a lot of times you'll see these people who maybe don't have some sort of metabolism issue or diabetes and they're wearing a glucose monitor and they're like, oh my gosh, my blood sugar went up by 20 points or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, that's going to happen. That's, mm -hmm. that's normal. It's not something to stress about. But then you introduce a layer of either a child with diabetes or an adult. And yeah, then we need to maybe pay a little bit more attention to it because it'll go up like in a normal person, but then the ability to come back down is impaired. And so that's where we, we got to kind of figure that out. Slightly off topic, but I'm curious how you feel about the people who choose to wear a glucose meter who do not have diabetes. So I have to be careful here. And I always say, I'm going to give you the answer, not as a dietitian, but as a person who has type one diabetes and yeah. wears one to make sure I'm staying healthy. It drives me nuts because I, I it, it's frustrating to see someone see it as this cool, like biohacking thing. And I'm like over here wishing the heck I didn't have to wear it kind of thing. And so that's not my professional answer as a dietitian. It's just as a person living with the disease, it rubs me the wrong way. And especially knowing this is not even getting into the conversation of access and affordability of like, there's people out there with diabetes who are, their care is suffering because they can't afford it. And then, but yet you see all the, cause like insurance won't cover it or something, but then you see people kind of flaunting them in other ways. So yeah. that's the personal reaction as a professional. I can see where it interests people. And I like that people are paying attention to how food impacts their body. But again, if you don't have any sort of disordered metabolism, like diabetes or PCOS, and there's a few other conditions that would warrant it. There's no need to pay that close attention to food. Yeah. I start to worry yeah. about the disordered eating aspect of it too. Yeah. If like, you're so focused on and now creating rules around it, but we don't have to go yeah. into that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to talk about so for parents who have a child who receives a diabetes diagnosis, I want to talk about that a little bit. One, what do you see is the typical age of diagnosis in children? So typically you're going to see it um, around like developmental milestones. And, and I say this, but at, at the end, what I'm going to say is it really can be diagnosed at any age, but yeah. you know, we see a lot of like when school starts age group, which is kind of the age group I fell into of like that five, six year old range. Um, we see a lot of like right around the onset of puberty, that 10, 11, 12, 13 age group. But then also more and more, I mean, the rates of type one diabetes are going up. And I, from what I've read, believe that is due to the, the viral theory that there's certain viruses that trigger it. And you can encounter a virus at any point in your life. We're especially seeing it with COVID uh, and the numbers that are, that are creeping up there. And I wouldn't be surprised if that, if COVID gets added to the list of viruses that are known to increase, mm -hmm. uh, do something. Um, you've also got theories around like being vitamin D deficient, going through like a stressful life event, which that's where usually that kind of goes hand in hand with the developmental aspect because that's a stress on the body. Those are kind of the two main groups. But in reality, I would say if you have a family, especially if you have a family history of type one, you should be monitoring your kids regularly. Now, what are those signs and symptoms? What should we be paying attention to? Yeah. So there's, there's a few and it could be like unexplained weight loss in a small child. It could be excessive thirst and hunger, fatigue, illnesses like that might seem minor, like a mild fever or a cold or whatever that just won't go away over weeks and weeks. You also can look for bedwetting in kids that are otherwise fully potty trained. Again, 
in young girls, we will usually see like yeast infections for no apparent reason. That was actually what clued my mom into taking me to the doctor. Like, what the heck is this? This is weird. And sure enough, my blood sugar was over 300. So Mm. things like that, that are unexplained and would indicate weight loss, excessive thirst, and an impaired immune system. Well, the good thing I think about hearing these is that they're things that you'd probably have a little red flag raised as a parent. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you don't need to necessarily know that they're linked to diabetes, but just things that you would probably want to mention to the doctor anyway. Right. And where I encourage parents to to go with your gut and be your own advocate and your child's advocate is a lot of times, even still in 2022, you get parents that take their kid into the physician and they get brushed off and they get blown off. Mm. And then you find yourself in a horrible DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis situation. My nephew, my brother's uh, little boy has type one as well. And that was kind of the situation they were in of like, you know, eh, oh, like being told this is, everything's fine. And then he ended up in the emergency room with DKA. And so it just, you got to advocate for your child when you think something's wrong. Totally. That's a great reminder. Can you tell people what happens when you get into DKA? So diabetic ketoacidosis is basically when there is a shortage of insulin in the body. Um, A lot of times people think it's just from high blood sugar, but it's actually from a lack of insulin in the body. And that starts to create an electrolyte imbalance. And we get really worried about potassium levels and sodium levels and the production of ketones as a source of energy. Uh, And you start to basically what the name says, the blood, the pH of the bloodstream starts to change and gets more and more acidic and it, it can result in death, unfortunately, if not caught in time. So what are the symptoms? All the things that we talked about uh, before, uh, rapid weight loss, excessive thirst, not being able to get over like otherwise that would seem minor viruses or infections. I guess what I meant was like, what, what led them to be like, we need to go to the emergency room. Oh, okay. So with that change in pH in the bloodstream, you're going to, it can affect the lungs. You can, you can have like, um, breathing distress. Um, you can also urine will start to smell like acetone and the breath will smell kind of like fruity. And again, that's this kind of the effect of the ketones and the saliva. Those are like the acute symptoms that'll start to come on. Okay. That's helpful. So for anybody who notices those things, go to the ER. Yeah. I would say even don't even bother with the pediatrician at that point, you head straight to the ER because that's a very scary situation, unfortunately. Yes. What are some of the challenges that parents who have a child with a diabetes diagnosis might go through that maybe other people wouldn't realize, like, I just want to give a little glimpse into what is life like when you have a child with a diabetes diagnosis? Yeah. So I think one of the things that anybody who's never been through it, uh, they don't typically realize is that it's a trauma. It seems like diabetes because we have all this technology now and we have all these ways to treat it, that it's one of the things that people, and I've been told this a lot is like, well, at least it's not cancer. And while that's true, it's a trauma to the family. It's a loss of this quote unquote normal future you saw for your child. And so there is a huge emotional burden on parents. There's been a lot of behavioral research in parents of kids with type one diabetes and like exhibiting signs of PTSD uh, after the diagnosis, because not only are they now mourning the loss of a normal childhood for their kid, they're also taking on the role of a pancreas and making up to 300, 400 different decisions every day 
I think any parent of a child with type one that you talk to ask them the last time they slept through the night without waking up and they'll mm-hmm. probably laugh and say, uh, probably the day they got diagnosed because it's alarms and it's checking blood sugar and it's giving insulin and it's taking applesauce pouches in the middle of the night. And it's a lot. And usually what I find parents say they want, and I've talked to my sister-in-law about this. I've talked to my mom about it is just people to understand and offer to help show up with a basket of low blood sugar supplies, offer to bring them a meal along with the carb count. So they know it just makes one little decision that they have to do easier. And you don't have to solve problems with them. You don't have to, you know, offer solutions, but just coming alongside them and saying like, and and wanting to learn about diabetes too is huge. Even for me personally, as adult, anytime I meet someone and I can tell they're asking questions, not to be nosy, but because they're curious and they want to know more about the disease because they care about me, like that means the world. Um, and, And the same is true. If you have a child, they just want their child to feel normal. So the more you can help contribute to that, the better. That helps a lot. I think that like you said about the 300 to 400 decisions a day. Mm -hmm. I mean, how exhausting is that? And just the loss of freedom that you kind of, there's no like carefree way about your day anymore. Yeah, it can be very overwhelming. And without the proper support group in place, it's a struggle for sure. Uh, And so anything you can do to help alleviate that is, is huge. Something that I've kind of wondered as I've thought about living with diabetes. And I'm curious if you would answer this is just like, what does it feel like to know that you always have to be thinking about it? Like you to keep yourself healthy, you can't just like eat without thinking about it. Like, what's that like to have that as an all the time thing? So here's where, so for me, I was diagnosed at five. I don't remember life before it. So I don't, I can't really answer your question, because this is life. It is what it is. I don't know what it's like for that not to be a part of my daily routine. And so I can't really, I can't really answer that. And the, along those same lines, one of the comments that people will usually say, people who don't really think about the words that are coming out of their mouth is that, oh my gosh, I could never stick myself like that. Or, oh my gosh, I could never give myself like five shots a day. And usually my response, and I don't mean it in a bad way or in a rude way, but my response is, if your life depended on it, I bet you could. You'd learn how to do it and you'd learn how to adjust and adapt. And so while I can't really answer your question, I think a lot of us, even for people who have a child that was diagnosed as a teenager or like my mom, she was diagnosed when she was 25. She had a whole life of knowing what it was to like to not have to do this, but you adjust because that's life, you know, and I think it comes with anything in life, like life's going to throw you curveballs, and we're all going to have struggles. And this is just one, this is just another form. So having to make all these extra decisions, yes, it's a burden. And that's where I think the diabetes care community has gotten so much better from when I was a child is advocating for mental health services and doing recommending therapy, recommending um, seeing psychologists and psychiatrists to ensure that the mental health component is still there for people with diabetes. It's a lot to even just learn as a parent that feels like, you know, maybe once you're in the rhythm of it, it becomes kind of second nature, but that's got to be overwhelming to learn all that up front. Well, yes, 100%. And that's why going back to what we talked about with like parents of kids with type one showing signs of PTSD, because it's just like instantly you have to change everything. 
Now, what about when a child is not going to be with a parent? Like, what are some of the fears or worries or concerns if they're going to school or going to camp, something like that, and they're still young and can't manage it on their own? Yeah. So there's a whole host of things that like you, a parent would have to bring with them just like a normal outing. So, you know, it's a joke that like, even me as myself managing myself, the whole like idea of a cute little purse just is out the window. Like you're the the lady with the big bag kind of thing, but everything from low blood sugar snacks to basically assuming if everything was going to go wrong, what would you need? So you'd need low blood sugar snacks. You'd need like low sugar electrolyte drinks. You need extra syringes, you need extra pump supplies, extra insulin, a blood sugar kit, like all of these things. But what's cool about, like you mentioned, going to school. So type one diabetes is one of those conditions that school nurses know they're going to have a special relationship with that child. And that child's going to be in the office every day, whether it's to test blood sugar, take insulin, get treatment for a low, whatever it is. Uh, and so most uh, or all pediatric endocrinologist office will have like checklists of a kit, a school kit. And so parents will have, like, I think about my sister-in-law and the kit she makes for my nephew. And it's got all these things in there, everything in there of like, what could go wrong at school? And you ba it's basically left at the nurse's office on site. And then usually whatever teacher they have, they'll have low blood sugar supplies in the classroom. What another thing, and this isn't really what you asked, but I just want to mention it because it's so cool. And it goes back to how you can help a family with a child with type one is it's so neat to watch other kids who don't like don't have any other exposure to type one learn about type one through their friends and the way these kids choose to show how they care like oh can I I'll go to the nurse and I'll get your snack or oh I'll get you I'll get your water like it's just always so uh, I don't know if fun is the right word but it's so sweet to watch these kids show care and compassion in like watch uh, trying to help this child with diabetes and it's just, I'm kind of rambling now but it's it's very sweet and it means a lot because I remember I had friends growing up who would do that so we didn't have the pumps and the CGMs and all this so I'd, I'd have to leave the classroom every day to go take my blood sugar before lunch and it was always this thing of like I had to take a buddy with me because I'm walking across campus and like kids would like not fight fight but like raise their hand and try to be like I want to be the one to go I want to be the one to go and so it's just an encouraging thing when other kids you know are supportive yeah. to the child with diabetes. I love that because they have choices, right? They could decide to make fun of that kid for being mm -hmm. different or whatever, but instead having this opportunity to show care and support. This might be a silly question, but what about like a preschool? So Amelia Stone preschool at our church, there is no school nurse. Like what happens in that scenario? Can you just not go to that school? So at that point in time, it becomes a parent's choice. And so I have there's families like my brother and sister-in-law who chose to send him to a school that had a nurse on site. Or there's families like I have a good friend who has a little boy who he is four now, but he was diagnosed before he turned two. And they chose to send him to a school that didn't have a nurse on site. And it's a lot of work on the parents. And he had a pump, so there was no injections being given. She could monitor him from home and text the teacher instructions and stuff. It's all in what you're comfortable with. There's no rule about can or can't, but it's really what they're comfortable with and how comfortable the teacher in the classroom is with helping manage it. That makes sense. If you were talking to, I'm sure you've actually done this a hundred times, but if you're talking to a family who just found out their child has type one diabetes, what's something that you'd really want them to know? So again, this is coming from the personal side of me that's lived with diabetes yes. and not the professional dietitian, but I would just say, not in an arrogant way, but I'd say, look at me. I'm a 36 year old woman who's had this for over 30 years. And I was 
back in the day and age when we didn't have all this and had an A1C of above eight for Lord knows how many years, because that was just the nature of managing it back then. I have two healthy children. I have, I have no complications. Like it is possible. Your child will grow up to be a normal thriving adult. It's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of blood, sweat, and tears quite literally, but your child will be, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I think that's the biggest encouragement that parents are looking for. And I find on Instagram, because like I spend all day, every day talking about like how to eat and tips and tricks for life. But I get so many messages from parents of kids with type one, simply saying like, it's great. And we love that you do this, but simply seeing an adult with it, who's lived with it their whole life, doing well and thriving is what they're there for. And mm-hmm. that just touches me so much because like there, there is the temptation to be like, well, why me? Like, why did I have to get this? Um, but at the end of the day, if you can turn it around and use it for good to help encourage people, that's what matters. And I, so I tell parents that too, like your child is going to have a skill set that other kids don't have and it, they're going to go far in life with it. They do. You feel like they often feel worried that like, is my kid going to not be healthy? Are they not going to thrive because of this? Yeah. It, um, there's a lot of fear that comes along with that. And again, and that goes back to what I was talking about earlier at diagnosis, there's this mourning of the loss of the future you knew for your child, but it just means there's, there's a new future that is going to have a few more struggles, but it's also going to come with skills and abilities and just an overall perception of life that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And living with diabetes doesn't mean you can't eat anything fun. As I know from right. your cookbooks, <laughs> will yes. you, before we go, will awesome you tell us segue. about your cookbooks? <laughs> yes. So I have two cookbooks. Uh, the first one is the easy diabetes cookbook. It's got any type of rest, all types of recipes. And then this latest one that actually just came out uh, a couple months ago is the easy diabetes desserts cookbook. I think they're both great, but the desserts one is a special near and dear to my heart because that's what a lot of times parents are like, what the heck do we do? I've got a funfetti birthday cake recipes in there. I've got like all the sorts of traditional holiday recipes. We've got all the yummy cookies, frozen treats, no baked treats, all sorts of things. That whole idea of balancing out the macronutrients so that blood sugars don't spike, but they're also all pretty tasty if I do say so myself. Mm-hmm. I love that. I just think back to when I was a kid and a boy who I went to school with found out he had type one diabetes. And I just remember back then, like, I remember looking at the sugar-free things in the grocery store and it was like, so sad. But to know that there's so many different recipes you can do, like you can still have a lot of fun with it. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, Mary Ellen. People can find you at Milk N with like just an N, right? Milk N Honey Nutrition. Yep. Or Milk and Honey Nutrition.com. The website oh. goes either way. Instagram is just the letter N. It's confusing. Okay. Well, I'm sure like we'll put it somewhere where you can click on it, yes. but it's Milk and Honey Nutrition. And the cookbooks are both available pretty much anywhere books are sold. Love it. I'll put it in the show notes. I have the cookbooks. I think they are awesome and I love them. I love following you on Instagram and TikTok too. You're big on TikTok. TikTok is like your place, I feel like. TikTok is fun. I'm diabetes nutritionist over there, but it's a different ball game. It I've had it's been fun over there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. See you later. Well, I think we probably all learned something new today, chatting with Mary Ellen and learning about what it's like for parents, what we can do to support them 
So if you know of somebody in your life who has a child who gets a diabetes diagnosis, now you know some really great ways to support them and understand a little bit more about what they are going through. If there are other topics you would love to hear me talk about on here or have someone on to talk about, definitely send me a message. You can do that at mamanosnutrition.com forward slash podcast or send me a DM on Instagram. I love hearing from you there as well. And one of my absolute favorite things is when you leave me a five-star rating and review for the podcast. This helps other parents find their way to me and... I I want to welcome them here with me. So I love seeing that. I read those and love them. Thank you. If you've written one, you are among one of my favorite people. So I will be here again next week. I'll talk to you then. Mm -hmm.